Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. Okay, we have been in a series called Has God Said? And I've said this almost every week when I've opened, but so much of what is clearly stated in Scripture is being questioned in uh, today's society. Um, the, the serpent said to the woman, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Has God said you shall not eat from the tree? In other words, did God really say that to you? Many times the enemy of your soul and my soul will come to us and sow a seed of doubt in the form of a question. Did God really say that to you? Is that prophetic word really true? Is that promise from him really true? Did you know people in the Bible, they asked this question themselves. They got, they got promises from the Lord and had years gone by without that promise coming fulfilled. Has God said, did God really say that to you? Does the Bible really say that? Does the Bible really mean that? All right. So we've been in a series called Has God Said? We've been tackling some of the hot topic things in our, in our culture, in our society. And uh, I'm going to, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip most of the review, but I will mention the uh, sermon that I preached last week. I had a, a lot of good feedback on my sermon last week. And we preached about this. We asked the question, should Christians be a support to the Jewish people and to the nation of Israel? Yeah. Come on, you guys learned it. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And I uh, got a lot of good feedback from that and, and heard from a lot of people who said, I'd never heard this taught before. I've never heard that a Christian should be a support to the, the Jewish person and the nation of Israel. So I talked about that last week, talked about two things, really, that there, there has been a physical restoration of the nation of Israel. In 1948, this happened, and it's been happening throughout our lives, that God has physically restored the, na- the Jews to the nation of Israel in their homeland. But the Bible talks about a spiritual restoration of Israel yet to come. And we preached about that. And that the, the Jewish people, there will come a day when they will place their faith and trust in Yeshua, in the Messiah, in Jesus. And uh, we want to, I want to, I don't know about you, but I want to participate with God in his plans. I don't want to be resisting God's plan. I want to be a participant with him. Amen? All right. So um, I mentioned this. Also, there's um, in my message last week, and we sent out a, our, our October newsletter yesterday. Um, there's a documentary that I highly recommend you watching. It's called Above and Beyond. And it basically talks about the formation of Israel, their, their war of independence that they had. And that you will see from, from this movie that it was an absolute miracle in the hand of God that caused that nation to come back to their homeland. And so highly encourage you to watch that. If you got our uh, newsletter, you can actually click on, the, um, on that graphic that we, they just had up, and it'll take you to a YouTube link that, will, that you can watch it for free on YouTube. Um, it is also streamed on some other services, but if you don't have any of those other streaming services, you can watch it for free on YouTube, okay? So um, that'll benefit you and enrich you. So we've been answering some of those hot topics. Um, we've been going after those questions. Um, this week and next week, we're going to go after a big one. Um, I was going to ask it like this. I was going to say it like this. Has God said that life begins at conception? And I believe the, that is a foregone conclusion. Um, even, even people who are um, 
you know, believe in abortion, they will, they will say, of course, it's alive. There's something living there, of course. So I, didn't, I wanted to take it a step further, and I want to ask this question. Does value begin at conception? That's the title of our sermon today. Does value begin at conception? Is, is what is inside of a woman's body when she's pregnant, is it becoming human or is it human? Is it becoming valuable or is it valuable? And if it's human and if it's valuable, should that baby have rights? Amen. So I want to talk about the subject of abortion. Um, aren't you glad you came to church? <laughs> you know, too many churches don't talk about this at all. And I haven't, I haven't dedicated a specific message to this subject since we started the church. I've mentioned that we are pro-life and, and um, mentioned reasons for that before, but I've never done a whole message on it. And I'm actually going to take this week and talk about it and, and next week and talk about it. Um, Pastor Kurt, why can't we just talk about nice things? Why can't you just encourage us? Well, listen, I think that's important. I think preaching encouraging messages is important. I hope you were encouraged during worship. But, um, and, and life can be hard. We all need encouraged, amen? My goal is not to be controversial for the sake of controversy, but my goal is to preach to you what I believe the truth is in the word of God, amen? And so, come on. That was a good chance for a drink of water right there. <laughs> so I just want to say, um, if I have the guts to preach about this, and I say something that you don't, doesn't agree with you, I have the guts to preach about this. Do me a favor and have the guts to hear me out. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, how many of you have ever heard a sermon, and as the guy or girl is giving a sermon, you're like, I don't know. I don't like that. I don't like that. And then you get home. And it made you mad or whatever. And then you got home and you start thinking about it. And you're like, you know what? I think they're right. You know, I I think I need to rethink this. So um, my prayer is that you'll hear me out. You'll wait at least 24 hours before firing off an email towards me, you know. Think about it a little bit. So, all right. Here's my goals. I'll just state my goals here at the beginning of my message so there's really no question. My goal is this. Number one, I have two. Number one, if you are not pro-life, I hope to make an appealing case to change your mind, okay? Especially if you call yourself a Christian. If you're a Christian, I hope to make an appealing case from the word of God that you should be pro-life. Um, if you are pro, uh, pro-life, this is my goal number two, if you are pro-life, but it's not a high priority in the way you think, act, and engage the world, I'd like to help you see this as one of the most important issues that we will ever face in our generation. I believe that history will judge us on how we reacted, how we acted on this issue. My goal is not to be political in this message, although there are political implications. but my, I will just say from my perspective, from my vantage point, this is the number one lens I look through when I make political decisions. This is the number one lens I look through. When, I, when there's a candidate, I ask the question, are they pro-life if I'm voting for them? If the, if the proposition is pro-life, I ask that question. That's the number one lens I look through. I, I care about many issues, as, as I'm sure you guys do. But this is the number one lens I look through. 
occasionally I'll hear someone ask the question, why are evangelical Christians so singly focused, singly motivated by this issue when there are many other issues on the table? I intend to answer that question by the end of this message and for sure by the end of next week. It's a good question and I intend to answer that. Before we jump in, I just want to say if you are a woman who has had an abortion or you're a man who has condoned or encouraged someone else to have an abortion, I want to say that this message is in no way intended to bring any condemnation on you. How many know we have all sinned? We've all fallen short of God's grace. We all need his love and his mercy. I don't stand up here with my own righteousness. I stand up here in his righteousness. I don't have my own righteousness. Amen. And so um, it's not to bring any condemnation or to, or to bring up, you know, terrible emotions. If you've, it, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, there are people here who've had abortions. I think they say, what is it, one out of four? In the church, one out of four women in the church have had abortions. Undoubtedly, um, this is the case here. It's not to bring uh, condemnation to anyone, but we want to learn, we want to move forward. I personally, I personally know women who have had abortions who have gone on to be major pro-life advocates, okay? And how many remember Jesus on the cross? Jesus, as he's being crucified on the cross, he prays for the people who are crucifying him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? Many women have no idea the regret, the trauma, the guilt they might experience having had an abortion, okay? And we need to be highly, highly compassionate to women before, during, and after abortion. If they're facing that decision, man, the, I will say this. I'll talk about this more next week. The church, we need to do more to support vulnerable mothers who are at risk for getting abortions. We need to do, we need to do a better job with that, okay? And we'll, we'll hone in on that a little bit next week. So, um, But with that, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into the Bible here. Father, we love you. We thank you for every individual in this place. God, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest upon me and these people, Lord. Help me to articulate what you want me to say, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as I, I'm gonna, we're going to go through just a few scriptures in the Bible that I believe show that God is pro-life, God loves babies, and that um, they have value. But the, the central questions I, I want to keep returning to is this. Here are the central questions. Is it human? Does it have value? And should it have rights? Is it becoming human or is it human? Is, is it becoming valuable or does it have value? And if it's human and if it's valuable, should it have rights? Psalms chapter 39, 139, verses 13 through 14. We're going to read a section that David he said here in the Psalms. He says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. The Bible says that we are intricately and methodically made in the womb by God. Painstakingly made. He intricately wove you in your mother's womb. The inference here is that unborn babies have tremendous value in the sight of God. Let me ask you a question just to give an illustration. If God painted a master painting for you and he intricately put detail into it and spent time on it, would you just simply take that painting and throw it out? Now, it has tremendous value. He's 
intricately, methodically making babies in the womb. Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You watched me as I was being woven together. I believe one of the reasons that we don't value life of the unborn is because we can't see the baby developing. It's being, it's being made in secret, out of sight, out of mind, kind of, right? Other than the evidence of a bump here, you know? <laughs> this is why many, many, many women who are at risk for abortion change their minds once they've seen an ultrasound of their baby in the womb. Many, a high percentage of women change their minds when they've seen an ultrasound. This is one of the best things you can do for a woman who's at risk for abortion is to give her an ultrasound. Let her see what in her is alive. What, let her see what is in her is a living being. Amen? <clears throat> Very high percentage change their minds. Verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day, watch this, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. God has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for every baby prior, prior to them coming into this world. Prior to that seven-inch journey down the birth canal. God has a plan, purpose, and destiny for every baby. Let's look at Job. Job chapter 10, verses 11 through 12. It says this. You clothed me with skin and flesh, and you knit my bones and sinews together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. Notice, you gave me life, and you loved me, or at the same time. It wasn't like, you gave me life, and I was in the womb, and then later on, when I was born, you gave me love, right? Notice the, they're complementary being given at the same time. The life and the love of God are given at the same moment upon conception. They are mutually complementary. This implies tremendous value, Amen. Let's look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, uh, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I, I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So before you were in the womb, God says to Jeremiah, I knew you. And while you were in the womb, before you were born... I set you apart. I sanctified you to be a prophet to the nations. This happened while Jeremiah was in the womb. As he was in the womb, God says, I'm setting you apart as a prophet to the nations. In other words, there is a work of grace happening while the baby was being carried around in the womb. This is a really good reason, mamas, to lay hands on your stomach when you're pregnant and pray for those babies inside of you. Fathers, lay hands on your wives' stomachs and pray for those babies. There can be a work of grace happening prior to that child even coming into this world. Okay? Let me illustrate this. We're going to read uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 1, 1. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 15. Zechariah, of course, was the father of John the Baptist, and this is the account of... Um, John the Baptist. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. And watch this. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit 
even before he is born. He'll be filled with the Spirit prior to being born, okay? This means that not only do babies in the womb have a plan, a purpose, and a destiny, they have the capacity to be filled with the presence of God prior to being born. Okay, this is huge. Listen, babies and children, they don't have a junior Holy Spirit. Okay, babies, those kids down there in children's church, they don't have a junior Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that those kids down at, at children's ministry have this, and, and babies in utero can have, okay? Come on. <clears throat> Here's the deal. Their bodies and their minds are being developed, but they have a fully developed spirit, okay? Um, babies are spirit beings from conception, they are spiritual beings in the womb. They don't become spiritual beings later on. Amen? So watch this. Jump down to verse 39. <clears throat> um, Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, got a visitation from the archangel Gabriel. She would be told that she would also conceive and give birth to a son and call him Jesus. So she heads over to Elizabeth, her relative, and it says this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried down to, the, to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zacharias' home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she ex exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Notice the baby is experiencing joy. And they were, I, I guess they were probably both filled at the Holy Spirit at that moment. And she is only six months along at this point. Here's the deal. Babies can experience joy in the spirit, or in the, in the womb, and they are sensitive to the spirit realm, okay? Babies in the womb can feel joy. We know this. This is like proven. They can feel joy. They can recognize sounds, their father's voices, music they can recognize. They develop tastes for certain foods that the mom eats. This is absolutely proven. They can feel the stress of the mom. They, could, they practice facial expressions. They suck their thumbs. They, they cry. Babies can actually cry in, in the womb. And most definitely, babies can feel pain in the womb. God seems to have tremendous love and care for the unborn. According to the Bible, babies have a giftings, callings, and purpose prior to being born. And apparently those giftings and callings can even be activated um, and developed in the womb. They can be set apart for God, a work of grace in the womb. They're not becoming spirit beings. They are spirit beings. They're not becoming human. They are human. Amen? They're not becoming valuable. They are valuable. Okay? So, should unborn babies have rights? Pastor Kurt, how dare you, a man, <laughs> insinuate what I do with my body? Listen, I don't want to tell you what to do with your body. I just simply want to give you the word of God as I see it, and I hope you value life. Regardless of size, level of development, dependence, or location, I believe babies have value. <clears throat> Are big people more valuable than small people? 
No, you know, as a toddler, if I put a toddler up here, is a toddler less valuable than an adult? No. So size doesn't determine your value. So just because babies are small doesn't mean they're less valuable. What about level of dependency? Does that determine your value? My, my daughter, Trinity, has autism. She is more dependent on us than a, a child her age would be. Is she less valuable than another girl her age? She has a disability in her mind, but she is just as valuable as another child, another human. Um, Rachel, can I use you as an illustration? I don't know if you guys know this, but Rachel does not have a disability in her brain. She's actually fully there in her, in her mind. Her disability lies in her brain's ability to communicate with her muscles. And so it's like her and Trinity have the opposite problem. Okay, Trinity has autism, which is a developmental disability. Rachel's mind has trouble communicating with her body. Is it Rachel any less valuable than another person? Amen. Amen. I remember when my wife and I first found out, <clears throat> first found out that our daughter Trinity was autistic. Um, first found out, and we um, soon after that we went to um, Washington D.C. and we went to the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington D.C. How many have ever been to the Holocaust Memorial Museum in D.C.? Obviously, among all the horrendous things that the Nazis did, one of the things they did is they euthanized individuals with developmental disabilities. And they had this video of a little, beautiful, blonde little girl who was German, and they were about to euthanize her because she had a developmental disability. We had just found out our daughter was, and she was about this woman, in the, or this girl in the video was about the same age. Man, I just broke. I was like, geez, they don't view people with developmental disabilities or any disabilities as, as valuable, as viable as you and me. It's terrible. It's a terrible sin. So level of development and level of dependence do not determine someone's value. This, uh, this is what I love about America is we take care of people with disabilities. We don't just write them off. We don't try to get rid of them. We want to include them in society. Size, level of development, level of dependence do not determine value. What about location? Location, location, location. Does that determine your value? Is a baby who's outside the womb more valuable than a baby inside the womb? Good question. Very good question. Well, let me, let me, let me say this. If, if traveling down the birth canal seven inches is what gives someone their humanity or gives someone their, their personhood and gives them value, well, let me ask you this question. Did you know that they can operate on babies who are in utero? And sometimes they will actually do an operation, remove the baby from the womb, do surgery on the baby, put the baby back in the womb, and let it continue to develop. Did that baby go from being not valuable to valuable back to being valuable? Or I'm sorry, did, baby, did that baby go from not valuable to valuable back to not valuable? No, okay. Um, another, another question people um, bring up about, about um, when a baby is, is human or baby is valuable is at the age of viability, an age that they could viably, it, the chances are that they could live outside of the womb. The interesting thing about that perspective is this. If a, if a woman who's pregnant in the United States 
reaches that age of, of, the baby reaches that age of viability in her, and she travels to Bangladesh, where the age of viability is much higher, does her baby go from being valuable in the United States to not valuable in Bangladesh, and then fly back to the United States, and now her baby's valuable again? Okay, so location is not an indication of someone's value, whether the baby's inside the body or outside the body. By the way, we have laws where if you kill a woman who's pregnant, you can be charged for a double homicide. <laughs> Yet at the same time, that mother can go and have an abortion up to full term. <clears throat> you can also be thrown in jail for killing a bald eagle, but you can kill a baby, apparently. So let me ask you a question. Where do rights come from? Where do rights come from? I heard it over there. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We don't get our rights from the Declaration of Independence or any other document from that matter. The Declaration of Independence simply acknowledges that they are, are already given to us. It's an acknowledgement of rights that are given by our creator. So if all humans are created equal, what do you need to do to justify enslaving or murdering a population of innocent people? You have to deny them their humanity. If you want to enslave a population, if you want to take an innocent life, you have to deny that person's humanity. Okay? And by the way, just because something is legal does not make it moral. Let me give you an example of this. In the state of Nevada, there are certain counties where prostitution is legal and counties where it's not legal. Okay? Does, does prostitution become become right, become moral once I cross over the county line into another county that has it legalized. I mean, it's either, it's either moral or it's not moral, right? Okay, so not every law, uh, laws don't make things right. Just because something legalized doesn't mean it's okay. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, go ahead and put up that picture we have. <clears throat> you guys, hopefully, gosh, I hope you guys know who this guy is. Did you know there's a lot of young people who don't even know about the Holocaust or know Hitler or any of this? It's craziness. Hitler said this, Jews are undoubtedly a race, but they are not human. Okay, that's how you justify slaughtering 60, um, 6 million Jews. Okay, There's an, there was an unrighteous decree that denied Jews humanity. Okay, you have to deny their humanity. Go to the next picture. This is a picture of a slave who, of course, was, was, was whipped. And there's Mississippi law of 1831, it says this, it is unlawful for any slave, uh, free Negro or mulatto, to preach the gospel upon pain of receiving 39 lashes upon the naked back of the presumptuous preacher. Okay, that was a law in 1831. Does that make it okay? <laughs> History is not judging this law very well, is it? Okay, it was an unrighteous decree that denied humanity to people who were human. And, and completely antichrist, by the way. Okay, go to the next one. <clears throat> I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Dred Scott versus Stanford case of 1857. Uh, Dred Scott was a um, slave 
And he was a slave in the in southern states where slavery was legal. He moved with his owner to free states, and then his owner went back to a slave state. But he wasn't recognized as a free man. So Dred Scott sued to gain his freedom because he, ar- he argued that the once free, always free clause applied to him and his family. And since he was in a free state, he said, that should apply to me. A huge controversy in that day and age. The U.S. was already on the brink of civil war. So the chief justice at the time, Roger B. Taney, sought to appease the southern states by denying Scott his freedom and setting a culture that, that would, would go from there. This is, this is um, the chief justice's, so this is a, a, a case that the Supreme Court heard. This is what the chief justice said. This was his decision. He said this, we think that they, black people, are not included and were not intended to be included under the word citizens in the Constitution and can therefore claim none of the rights and privileges which that instrument provides and provides for and secures for the citizens of the United States. Okay? Obviously, this was one of the worst decisions of the Supreme Court's history and was obviously overturned not too long after that. And despite his efforts to bring compromise between the North and the South, this decision actually only accelerated the U.S. path into civil war because it really ticked off the abolitionists, people who were wanting to end slavery. It really accelerated it into civil war. History has not been kind to the Supreme Court of that time. That was an unrighteous decree that denied the humanity of black people. That's what you have to do if you want to enslave or murder people who are humans. You have to take away their humanity. Fast forward to 1973. There's a decision on the Supreme Court that many of you, I was not alive during this time, but many of you were alive during this decision. It is the, um, the case of Roe versus Wade. 1973, the high court ruled that essentially unborn babies have no protections under the Constitution. Unborn babies have no protections under the Constitution. A mother could say, if I want my baby, she's a person. If I don't want my baby, she is not a person. It was the subjective dehumanizing of the most voiceless people group in the history of the world. The most voiceless people group in the history of the world are those who are are the unborn, except for their blood which cries out from the ground. Their blood cries out for justice from the ground. What was the result of this decision, Roe versus Wade? From 1973 to 2019, there has been just shy of 60 million, 60 million abortions in the United States. We're probably past that number now, but here's the exact number at the end of 2019. 59,902,500 abortions since 1973. I can't look at some of you. <laughs> I want to compare, compare that number. I want to compare that number with some other numbers. Abortion would be the number one cause of death if it was counted. In 2017, there were more abortions than deaths due to heart disease or cancer in the United States. Watch this. There are more abortions performed every two years in America 
than combat deaths in all of our wars from 1775 to 2019. All of our wars, from the conception of our nation to today, every two years more, more babies are aborted than all the combat deaths in the history of our nation. Observing a 15-second moment of silence for each child killed by abortion would last 28 years. Observing 15 seconds of silence for every child killed would last 28 years. Average daily abortions are 2,362 in the United States. 2,362 in the United States. Do you guys remember how many people died on 9-11? Just shy of 3,000. 2,977. This number, 2,362, is comparable to 9-11. Day after day after day after day. Man, every 9-11, many of us will, you know, we will never forget. We'll post something. We'll never forget. And you should. You should, by the way. We'll never forget. We'll never forget. And we honor the memory of people who've fallen on that day. But then there's this unborn, voiceless generation who's crying out from the grave day after day after day after day. There's a 9-11 happening every day in abortion clinics across this, this nation. Man, turn that into prayer. Turn that into intercession in your heart. So, Pastor Kurt, why are evangelical Christians so singly focused on this issue? Well, find me an issue that comes anywhere close to that you may be straining a gnat to swallow a camel. Find me an issue that comes anywhere close to that. Listen, I'm not bashing your issue. I don't, know what, I don't know what you vote on. I don't know what your issue is. And I'm not saying it's not important. I'm sure it is. I, I care about a lot of other things. But what is, what is, your, what is, the, what is your issue? What's the thing that, you're, that you vote on? Or, or, and not just voting. What motivates you? Do me a favor. Find out how many people die annually from that issue. How many die annually? Then divide it by 365 and see if it comes anywhere close to 2,362. Many things that we are so up in arms about are like point something deaths a day or one death a day. I'm talking about 2,362 deaths a day. Day after day after day after day. If I was in a sinking ship... And I had two options. Let's just say, let's assume you had two options. And you're in a sinking ship. On one end of the ship, there's 2,362 people on, in a room in the ship. And you could save them or you could save two people over here. I'm not saying those two people don't matter. I'm just saying, let's save the 2,362. History would judge you by how many people you could have saved if you go the other way. Okay? Hopefully... The way we think, act, engage our world, we can, you know, kill more birds with one stone here. It's kind of the opposite of what I want to say, I guess. <laughs> we could save more birds than whatever. That was a good time for comic relief, okay? <laughs> Unintentional comic relief. Psalms chapter 94 verse 20 says this. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, evil by decree, 
have fellowship with you. Listen, you have fellowship with the throne of iniquity when you support the people who support the evil decree. Let me say that again. You have fellowship with the throne of iniquity when you support the people who support the evil decree and dehumanizes the unborn. So your is- I'm, saying, I'm not saying your issue is not important. I'm not saying don't care about that. I don't think everyone's called to the same issue. I think some people are called to care tremendously about different things. We're not all called to the same thing. I'm just giving you the case why so many evangelical Christians cannot, cannot get past that and will not get past that. I will not give my vote to someone who believes in the murder of innocent babies. I won't do it. I can't get past it. I'm not saying your thing's not important. I'm just, that's why. So there you go. Okay. I, I guess I'll, let's have someone come up on the keys here. I've, I've pl- painted a, a bleak picture here. Um, but I think history will judge us by these decisions, by where we stood, where we made a stand. I, pl- I painted a bleak picture, but next week I want to talk about some hopeful things surrounding this issue, okay? I want to talk about what we can do individually and what we can do corporately to combat the shedding of innocent blood. I'll say this again. I do believe the church, the body of Christ, and us individually need to do more to empower mothers who are at risk and vulnerable for having abortion. We need to do a better job there. We've done a good job. We've, uh, the last 20 years, pregnancy resource centers have exploded across the country. We've done a better job. We need to do better. We need to support these women and give them hope. The church can and should be the answer in the middle of this modern day genocide. I use the word genocide on purpose. It's a genocide. We can and should be the answer in the middle of this modern day genocide. Proverbs 31.8 says this, open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. I want to mention one thing. You know, as a nonprofit organization, we're not supposed to uh, endorse candidates or parties. But we can talk about issues all day long. This is an issue. We can talk about this all day long. And so I do want to mention one thing. There is a, um, a measure on the ballot this year. Many of you probably already got your ballots. Um, Proposition 115. I want to encourage you to vote yes on that. Amen. Colorado has some of the most lenient abortion laws of any state. Um, 43 states have legal limits on abortion. Colorado is not one of them. In Colorado, it is currently legal to have an abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. By the way, if you think it's okay to abort a baby at the moment of birth, you owe it to yourself to go to YouTube, Google um, partial birth abortion demonstration, They have diagrams of what a partial birth abortion looks like. (laughs) Do that and try not to cry or cuss or whatever, okay? You'll know it's murder. You'll know it's murder. Colorado, it's currently currently legal up to the moment of birth. 74% 74 of all Americans want limitation on abortion, okay? So this is actually a winning cause. And by the way, the 20 to 30-year-old generation is more pro-life than their parents. So there are good things happening. I think, I think this thing is going down. I think it's going down. And whether it's, 
whether it's struck down, whether it's struck down at the Supreme Court, who knows? But I, I do believe it is moving in the right direction. Okay. Um, Proposition 115 would restrict abortion in Colorado after, after 22 weeks with an exception for the life of the mother. I got a text the other day from someone that says, hey, Proposition 115 is overreaching and it denies the rights of women and it gives no exception for the life of the mother. I don't know how I got on this list or whatever. And I text the person back, I said, they're like, so can we count on you to vote no on that? And I said, text them back, I said, no, you cannot count on me to vote no. I believe that life begins at conception and value begins at conception. And by the way, stop lying to people and telling them that it doesn't take into account the life of the mother. Mother, It does. So I want to encourage you to vote yes on 115. Amen. Why don't you guys stand on your feet? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Again, I lift up any woman who has made that decision to have an abortion. God, we speak no condemnation, no shame or guilt over you in Jesus' name. And any man who has condoned an abortion, Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every day, Lord. We come before you and we just, we just cancel that in Jesus' name. We just say, by the grace of God, we all stand. God, we ask that there would be an adoption revolution in this country. We ask that support for vulnerable mothers would be a revolution in this country, Lord. And God, we ask for a sexual purity revolution in this country. God, send revival, end abortion in America, we ask in Jesus' name. We love you, God. Help us with this, Lord God. Help us stand for what you believe in, Lord. Help us to be pro-life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support, and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church, where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.